The longer I pastor, the more I realize we need encouragement. People need encouragement. I don't think anybody walked in the door today and thought, man, I hope I get discouraged today. No, you hope to be encouraged in the Lord. Now, he's not here for me to pick on today, but to quote John Soule, yes, we need a good kick in the pants sometimes too, but by and large, people need encouragement. Unlike other religions, we do not believe we live and work to earn God's favor. That is not Christianity. That's not good news. Our faith requires us to let go of our ideas of our own righteousness and cling only to the one who was perfectly righteous, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you need encouragement to love? Let me ask you this. Do you need encouragement towards and love towards God today? I want to direct you to God's word, specifically to the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. Let's take our Bibles and turn to page uh, 997 in the Pew Bible. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1. It's 997 in the Bible that's provided for you there in the Pew. See, Paul was a man who knows God's mercy through Christ, and he shows us how amazement and enthusiasm for Christ can grow. I think we can learn a lot from him today. Now, let me give some background and context, as I did last week. Advance the Gospel is the name of this series because Romans is an exposition of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to get a church healthier in love and in evangelism, Romans says to gospelize the people. Now, why did you choose that title for the series? Well, if you just for fun, flip all the way to the end of the book of Romans. Turn to Romans 16. Just flip to the back real quick. Hold your place there in chapter 1. This, this is hard work, I know, going all the way to Romans 16, right? To the end of Romans 16, go to the end, look at the very end of the letter, look at verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation, the mystery kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures, according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So why did I call it that, that title of the series that? I took it, I stole it from Paul, okay? Back to chapter one. Back to chapter one. So we can see uh, there's a strong similarity about how Paul opened the letter in the verse, first seven verses and how he closes the letter. Very similar uh, themes brought up there. He wants to advance faith in Christ. He desires to preach Christ so that sinners by grace might repent of their way and trust in Christ alone for salvation from sin and from judgment. He desires to saturate the church with the gospel of Jesus so they would be enriched. There's only one way to be enriched as a church. It's through Jesus. Donald Gray Barnhouse, who preached many, many years ago at 10th Pres in Philadelphia. He was James Montgomery Boyce's pastor there before Boyce took it over. He noted Rome, Rome was the capital of the world at the time Paul wrote. Massive city, right? It was the empire city, and to it and from it flowed all the tides of commerce. Tides had taken Christian converts from Jerusalem, from the cities of Asia, Greece, to Rome, 
and their meeting had quickly been established in an assembly of the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is clear and evident that none of the 12 apostles, and certainly not Peter, had been in Rome. No man founded the church in that city. It was founded by the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of many believers who were drawn together around their common Lord by the indwelling Holy Spirit. This was an amazing work of the Lord that had happened. Christians had made their way to Rome, and they had congregated. So enter this man who was interrupted by God in his, while he was living against God, effectually called by Christ to salvation, and then to preach the gospel named Paul. And in the book of Acts, you can go home and read it today, we see how the other uh, apostles, official sent ones of Jesus, recognized Paul as an apostle. And Paul had friends among the believers in Rome, and his desire to come to them is laid out here early in chapter 1. So last week we saw his, him condense the letter into his greeting in verses 1 through 7. This week, let's see what else Paul includes in his greeting. Let's do something fresh this morning. Let's all stand for the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. I will read it. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers that if somehow in God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often plan to come to you, but was prevented until now, in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as I've had among the rest of the Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is God's word. Amen. Please be seated. The thanksgiving and prayer in verse, uh, verse 8 is an expression of what has been ex uh, expressed previously in his apostolic commission we were in last week to the Gentiles, and it comes up again in verses 14 and 15. Paul is called by Jesus to take the gospel to the Gentiles, and this section is a further expression of that. So to take the gospel outside of Jerusalem to the nations. So he's praising, he's praying, he's passionate, he's pressured on this. Here's the central point. It's there for you in your bulletin. Eagerness for the gospel will show itself in our lives. Eagerness for the gospel will show itself in our lives. And it shows itself in praise, in prayer, in passion, and in pressure. That's the outline today. Let's, get, let's work through it. Number one, praise. Number one, praise. Sometimes when I recognize someone's contribution in the church, I can often run the risk of leaving somebody else who contributed out. You know that happens sometimes. If I went on and on about Bill and I left out Matt for the good work around the building, well, that wouldn't be right. Or others, I could just keep going. I'll just pick it on Bill and Matt for a second. I mean, I hate it when I make that mistake. When it comes to salvation and faith in Christ, 
there's no risk of missing someone who helped out. Why? Because there's only one to recognize for the existence of faith and trust in Christ, and that is to recognize God for it. Who gets the credit for your faith in Christ? Paul thanks God for the faith of these believers in verse 8. The faith of these people in Christ is being reported all over, he says. It was a big deal that this was happening in Rome. Thank God! What undergirds our eagerness for the gospel? Well, here's something that undergirds eagerness for the gospel is praising God who has the power to save sinners. Praising God will encourage you. If we're not filled with awe and praise, we will not have eagerness for the gospel. You, you don't go from a non-praising life to just being a, someone who wants to advance the gospel. You have to bring it together. In verse 8, Paul's eagerness for the gospel shows in his praise to God for the entirety of salvation in people's lives. He thanks God, not them. He thanks God for their faith. He's not thanking God for faith in naturalism. It takes faith to believe that, by the way. He's not thanking God for faith in Hinduism or in Allah. He's, people have faith. Even atheists have to express faith. Paul is thankful for something so wonderful, and that faith is faith in Christ to save from sin and from God's wrath. It is miraculous when someone says, I have no righteousness of my own. I only have Jesus. Why? Because it's our tendency to say, I'm, I'm not that bad. I'm better than they are. I love the comparison. I'm no Hitler. Well, thank God for that. That's always a classic, right? That's not the standard. It's, it is strange when someone says, I have no righteousness of my own. I'm clinging to Jesus only. Paul, did you hear about the faith of the believers in, in, in stinky, nasty, pagan Rome? Yes, thank God for his grace, Paul says. You know what? You, you get used to hearing about sin, don't you? That is almost the major headlines in every news, news outlet. You get used to hearing bad news, used to hearing about sin, used to hearing about another politician doing something stupid, another person acting the fool, another person wrecking their life, looking at your own sin. But you never get used to hearing about people's faith. That's always like, what? They, they trusted in Christ? You never get used to it. Because faith in Christ is not natural. Sin is very natural to humanity. It's something supernatural produced by the Spirit. It's not of the flesh. It's not of the natural man. It comes through the Spirit's conviction. Beloved, you can't help but thank God when someone receives Christ if you know how sinful we are. Praise God for your faith and faith in the life of others. Praise God for the change of heart wrought by the Holy Spirit through conviction of sin to which you responded in repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a growing church presence in Rome, Paul. Praise the Lord. Thank God. If we keep preaching the gospel, God can change hearts. Church, do you praise God that the Spirit of God convinced your hard-headed self? God does not force himself on man's volition. No, the Spirit helps sinners because their will is naturally rebellious to God. People willfully love their sin. Sin is enjoyable for a season. Let's be real. Let's not come to church and act like it's not. It feels good to do what feels good to our pleasure-focused brains and lustful hearts. 
But friends, we are so lost in sin. We do damage to ourselves with sin, but then look to sin to somehow make us feel better about being a sinner. Ask any addict, and they will tell you that's true. Sin is like tasty corn, but it, it keeps you eating it till you choke on the cob. And so the Spirit of God comes, and he turns the lights on, and he convicts sinners so much, so powerfully that the sinner responds in faith. You can call it irresistible grace. You can call it effectual calling, whatever. Paul says, whatever you call it, say, to God be the glory. It's so good to sing, to God be the glory. Oh, so yes, amen. There's faith. Verse 8. Church, first eight, you could, let me give you a King, a, a King Gary uh, paraphrase here. <clears throat> Church, I am amazed in appreciation to the Lord through my mediator, Jesus Christ, for the work of God in your lives. Paul is singing, Jesus, thank you. He offers his prayer through Jesus. Did you notice that? He offers his prayer through Jesus because without Jesus, there's no access to the Father. There's no access point. There's no other access point. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only hope you have as a sinner separated from God. Without Jesus, there's no prayer to the Father, no thanksgiving, no salvation. Church, you say the name of Jesus in your prayers. God has given Jesus the name that is above every name. You pray in his name. It's not some magical words to tack onto a prayer. That's stupid. You say his name so that your heart prays in accord with the Father. You should ask yourself, does the Father want me to ignore the name of Jesus as I pray? That's a, come on, man, you know the answer. It's not, I would encourage, don't merely say in your name, in Jesus' name. Pray in his name, exalt his name. Because when you do, you're saying, Yes, in Jesus, it's only through Jesus I come before you, Father. There is one mediator between sinners and God, the man Christ Jesus, who has come to us in the flesh to redeem us. When you pray, you make mention of his name as your access and great high priest, my fellow brothers and sisters. You, you say his name. You know who doesn't want you to say his name? Satan. Satan wants you to keep Jesus' name off your lips. Don't do that. You speak his name. And you speak it in honor, saying, I come to the Father through the Son. Your blood has washed away my sins. Jesus, thank you. Praise God and praise his name through his Son, and your eagerness will grow for the gospel. Number two, prayer. Have you ever, um, you ever get prayer requests and think, I'm not praying for that? I know you have. There's a comedian out there with a whole bit called I Ain't Praying For That. Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe you've seen his bit out there. So these jokes are not mine. His jokes go like this. <clears throat> you know when someone wants you to pray for their son who sprained their thumb while spending too much time on video games? I, I ain't praying for that. That's his, his, his whole game. I'm not, don't ask me to pray for goofy stuff like that. Well, here, Paul did not say what he wouldn't pray for. And he did not make false promises about praying for people. You know, people can often say they're praying, but what will God reveal? Look at the prayer of Paul here and the heart behind it. In so doing, we find encouragement to grow in eagerness about the gospel. So he, he leads with, God is my witness. 
Well, God knows all things. We understand the Bible teaches that he knows the heart. God is his judge and Lord, so he identifies God as the one whom Paul serves. And the word translated serve is connected to worshiping. Look at that term there, serve. That's a a term that's connected with worship. And he knew himself to be part of the priesthood of believers in the new covenant, where we do not offer things like the Levitical priesthood of the old covenant in the Old Testament, but we offer our lives as a sacrifice unto the Lord, a sacrifice of praise. And so he serves and worships in service of God. Look at the text, with his spirit. And that means his whole being. So Paul sees himself as a worshiper. And friends, that's so healthy for us as believers to see ourselves. We thought about last week as a sinner saved by grace, but as worshipers, as servants uh, of the one true God. The flesh tells us we are who we are first as our failure. Some of you this week, you've given in to the lie. Well, that's just who I am. I'm just a failure. This is, what, this is my sin struggle. This is who I am. No, no, no. Don't start there. I am a servant of the Lord. I am a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ, we are set apart to worship. I had a friend on the phone tell me this week, he was going on and on about his bad habits in relationships. Uh, He's a friend from, from down south. And I tried to encourage him, you need to stop saying that about yourself because you're just going to keep living that way if you keep justifying that and keep mentally telling yourself that again and again. You need to come back to Christ. And Christ has set us apart by the Holy Spirit to be worshipers. If you remind yourself of who you are in Christ, how might it help you and how you speak to people and how you deal with others and how you face your week this week? If you start off with some failing of who you are, don't expect to walk in encouragement. And beloved, worship, let me just do a little teaching here. Worship is not merely the music section of a service. I do not like it when people say, well, worship was good today, which means I got caught up in the music like I did at youth camp in the 90s. People, that's what they say, the worship, we rock the worship today. I'm really confused by all of that. Worship is not merely the music section of a service. Worship is declaring the worth of God with our entire lives. And so Paul roots his prayer life to his identity here as a worshiper. His life, your life as a Christian, is set apart to declare the worth of God with our entire lives. This is the posture of eagerness. This is the posture of eagerness for the gospel, the worth of God. And so in this posture, Paul prayed for the church at Rome. He says, church, I worship God in preaching the gospel, and this God is my witness that I pray for you. What is it about prayer that makes it so important? Another clarity. I'm on so I got some soapboxes today. If I can just take them, okay. Let me be clear. There's no power in prayer. There's power in God. We do not believe in the power of prayer. No, we believe in the power of God to work in us and through prayer because He said He would do that, and He's called us to pray. Dr. Mount said, a sermon that does not rise from intense and heart-searching prayer has no chance of bearing real fruit. Friends, you could put that on all kinds of ministries in all aspects of our lives. And so Paul's proven eagerness for the gospel is seen in his prayer continually here for the readers. 
Verse 10 reveals that not only did Paul pray for their spiritual growth and advance of the gospel, he prayed he could come visit them. There was an eagerness to have the apostle to the Gentiles come to that great city. And Paul's prayer, though, is aligned here. Do you notice that? In light of God's will with God's rule. If God willed it, he would come. Often we pray to God like he's a genie that, that serves us. That's wrong. It is in God we live and move and have our being. It is not our will, but his will we want to align with since he is God. Friends, monitor your hearts in prayer. All your plans and motives need to be vetted and submitted to God in prayer. That's why we say often, Lord willing, we make plans, but God's in charge, beloved. You know, I'm, I'm supposed to go preach the gospel in schools and other in hospitals in Jamaica in November. Lord willing, maybe, we'll see. That keeps us, friends, focused on godliness and contentment with, with his power and plan. How encouraging prayer for people um, it must have been for them right here. Do you know there are people who, who cannot regularly attend? When was the last time that, see, Paul gave him a letter of encouragement. I've been praying for you. I'm trying to get to you. There are people who cannot regularly attend here with us. When was the last time for the advance of the gospel in their lives, you wrote them, you texted them to say, I'm praying for you. If you want to know who those members are, see me after the service. I can tell you there's some members we, we need to reach out to more often and not just the elders. When we are praying for gospel work and with worship-filled hearts, as we see here, we are growing in eagerness for the gospel and for the fame of Jesus' name. Number three. Eagerness for the gospel will show itself in our lives. Number three, passion. Passion. What kind of person, uh, let me ask this, what kind of person saves large amounts of money, even take out a loan to, to go see Beyonce or Taylor Swift in a concert, right? Uh, a, a, a passionate fan. Um, I, I'm not a Swifty like that. Um, for fun, sometimes Laura and I do walk around the house when we're answering each other and we'll say, it's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. Anybody? Uh, some of you got that. There you go. But we're not, we're not taking out loans. Uh, I'm not putting on a second. Uh, people have done this. They've taken out a second mortgage to buy tickets to go see some of these artists in concert. Yeah, I see the heads out there. I was the same way. That's a different kind of fan and passion. What kind of Christian desires to help believers and be helped by them to the point he inconveniences himself, he will inconvenience himself in serving a person who needs Jesus and knows others need more of Jesus too. And so Paul is eager for the gospel. His passion for the gospel compels him to be inconvenienced. His eagerness for the gospel will show itself, friends. It will show itself in your life. Full stop. Eagerness. Passion for the gospel will show itself in your life. Look at his mission, his passion for edification and evangelism. Of your priorities, are, are, are these in your mind for prioritization? You know, if we're eager for the gospel as advanced, we will have a real ache or passion to see people built up in Christ and people to come to know Christ. Let me ask you something. When was the last time you saw as much joy as you saw last Sunday in this building? Why? 
Because people came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. When you see what happened last week here, why was Paul the way he was? That's why. Now, friends, I, I want you to take a second and just, without being creepy, just look around you a little bit. Look around the room. Don't stare. Just look around. All right, now. People need encouragement in Christ. They don't need more politics to aggravate them today. They don't need more debate on divisive theology. They need us to share and image Christ to them. And we need them to do that back towards us. You follow me? When you came today, did you come like every other consumer that only wants to take but not give back care unto others? Are you unwilling to share, you know, open up the painful parts of your life and say, this hurts. Help me, encourage me. This hurts, but this is, this is who Jesus is for me today. That shouldn't be strange for us to do with one another, beloved. Paul has a deep desire in these verses to see them and impart to them edification and them also building into him. I love that humility. New Testament scholar and editor of the NIV, Doug Moose, said this translation of impart some spiritual gift suggests that it's Paul's hope to confer a special spiritual gift on the Christians in Rome. We should, however, probably translate his words, share with you a certain spiritual gift, the reference being to a gift of Paul's own that he is planning to use to strengthen the church. Paul is passionate about building up and being built up in Christ. How about you? I, when I die, I want to be known as a, someone who was, who was edifying, don't you? One of my favorite things about a particular elder of this church who's very tall, smart, and quite talkative is that he's very thorough, very thorough in making sure I don't misunderstand and he doesn't come across as rude. He will go to great pains in explaining himself out of love to make sure I know his love for me and for others. I love that about him. And most of the time, I tell him that wasn't necessary, but there's something about making sure we come across clear and well to our brothers and sisters in the church. The, the room for misunderstanding is huge, folks. And so Paul right here is passionate about building them up. He, he, he goes as far to let them know, I, I had plans to come but I was prevented in verse 13. I just want to communicate that clearly to you. My passion for you, my love for you, to be built up and to be growing together. Just let me make, this might sound a little over-communicative, but let me be clear about what happened. Make no mistake, he wants to have a fruitful ministry, he says, among them and the rest of the Gentiles. His passion is clear. I want to see you very much. Why? I want to build you up with what God has given me and I want to be built up in Christ by you. He wants to be fruitful among them and the rest of the Gentiles. And his intention for Rome is not merely to win converts, but to strengthen and edify those who are already believing in Rome. Verse 11, strength comes from mutual encouragement and, which, and, and, and that which strengthens and encourages other believers is faith in Christ. Church, do you have a passion to see people built up in the faith? Do you desire it for your own heart? Let me ask you this. What part of your life in this church is strengthening people today to stay fixed on Jesus? Do you have a ministry like that where you're trying to help 
others right here in this church to stay fixed on Jesus on some level. There's a number of ways to work that out in conversation, in friendship, in helping them, in serving them. How are you doing this today? When was the last time you prayed with someone here at the church? When was the last time you encouraged someone in Christ? When was the last time you shared about your own need for Christ daily? When was the last time you prayed with the saints on Sunday night? When was the last time you stopped being critical and instead started being encouraging? This man is passionate about loving others. And if we want to grow in eagerness for the gospel, we can't look past the ministry of building up others in their walk with Jesus. That's what we have covenanted to do, beloved. See your hymnal. It's printed there. What inspires and fortifies believers in the church is when they perceive faith in their brothers and sisters. You ever come across a brother or sister in some part of your walk and think, I am convicted by their faith. I am helped by their faith. Here I am walking around in unbelief like a numbskull, forgetting God's promises, and they just helped me. Praise the Lord. What are you doing to grow to be that kind of member for such a time? Seeing other believers trust God in the course of everyday life reminds us that God is indeed faithful and he encourages us to trust him. You know, I I've been encouraged in my faith by the tes testimonies I heard last week. I'm encouraged by Dan's faith in the midst of challenges, by Terry's faith in the midst of chaos, encouraged by Barb's faith in the midst of chronic pain, encouraged by John's faith in the midst of injury, encouraged by Dave's perseverance, encouraged by the Namist family in the midst of very full hands. I am encouraged watching them trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes I don't tell you all that because I can't get to everybody I like to say, but I just want to say, that's just a handful I can just think of quickly that have encouraged me watching them Trust the Lord. People are watching us, beloved. Church, do you talk to each other about God's work in your life? How you're getting victory over sin? Or looking to Jesus for your comforts over your failings? If not, why not? Why not talk to each other about the goodness of Christ? You think it's going to hurt somebody? It won't. It will help somebody. Passion, zeal for the Lord's house should consume us too. We have to plan on it and cultivate it as Paul does here, passion. Last, number four. Eagerness for the gospel will show itself in our lives. Number four, pressure. Pressure. The late Tim Keller described gospel pressure or obligation like this. This is, I think he nails really the heart of Paul's um, motivations here it's illustrative to think about how i can be in debt to you first you may have lent me a hundred dollars and i'm in debt to you until i pay it back second someone else may have given me a hundred dollars to pass on to you i am in debt to you until i hand it on it's in this second sense that paul is obligated to everyone everywhere God has shared the gospel with him, but God has also commissioned him to go declare it to others. So Paul owes people the gospel. So if we're going to grow in eagerness for the gospel, we have to understand the pressure, the obligation we have with this message. Note the expression of love and concern 
of, of, uh, of heart for every kind of person there, verse 14. Rome had all kinds of people, Greeks, barbarians. Uh, said either you spoke Greek or you were barbarian. And often they said, it's, it's scholars note that the barbarians, they were called that because all they heard in their language was bar, 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 bar. They couldn't understand what they were saying. I just thought it was kind of funny that that was how they translated that. So you were either civilized or brutish, wise or unlearned. And Paul says that he is under obligation to preach to all of them. So do you sense that obligation to take the gospel to those you come in contact with? I'm just going to say it. We owe people the gospel. And we must tell others about Jesus. From the scholars at the local colleges and universities to refugees trying to learn English. And everyone in between, from children to the elderly, from your neighborhood to the nations, we're to share the gospel. We have an obligation. There's, there's some pressure. Pastor Gary, you putting some pressure on? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. We should feel that obligation to go. Everyone needs to hear. Everyone needs to hear this. Oh, sinner, you are separated from God. Oh, sinner, we have all sinned. And oh, sinner, it is not in you to trust in Christ. You are so fallen in your will that you have no desire for God. But oh, sinner, can't you see why you need to be born again? Sin has blinded you, cut you off from God, dead in your relationship to God. You need to be born again. There is one who can help you out of spiritual deadness, and he is called the life. Consider the Son of God, O sinner, the giver of life, the author of life, the author and finisher of the faith, Jesus Christ. The one who Paul says he prays through here, Jesus. Jesus has been so good to me, and I'm obligated to tell you about him today. If you want forgiveness and cleansing from your sins, you can have it. Jesus, God's Son, lived the perfect and sinless life and then to, and went to the cross to pay for your sin in total. We are sinners and we will pay for our sins or we can look to God's free offer in Jesus Christ, the one who came to pay for our sins. To prove that Jesus is God's powerful son, Jesus was raised from the dead. He died on the cross for our sins and was raised for our justification. You will find no peace and you will not have eternal life separate from Jesus Christ. Come to Christ today. Put your trust in Jesus Confess that you are a sinner in trouble, in need of rescue in Jesus, and God will forgive you. He promises to. Friends, that's what we're under obligation. That's the pressure. Tell people about Jesus. Make no apology for it. That message is what Paul was about. Verse 15, eager to preach. So the gospel is both for evangelism of unbelievers and edification of believers. And obviously, unbelievers need the gospel. In chapter 1, verses 18 through 3, verse 20, Paul's going to really unpack that for us. They are guilty before a holy God, and through, only through Jesus can sinners be saved. But believers also need the gospel. We need a better understanding of, of various doctrines. We need to apply them to our lives. We need to be reminded that our fundamental identity is in Christ. We need the gospel too. Well, beloved, we sh I should conclude. Church, praise God, seek him in prayer, passionately love the church and the lost, and never cease to feel that obligation, that pressure of eternity, that we have, the, we have the cure for mankind, and that message, that hope is in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for the faith of the saints here at La Plata Baptist Church. And Lord, we need to be praying for one another. We need to be building each other up so that we might go out and tell more about Jesus. Would you work that in our hearts by your spirit? And Lord, calls us to give you all the glory. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.